Y'all doing all right? Yeah, you can sit right here, sweetie. Everybody say hi, Leah. This is my wonderful bride. Hi, everybody. She's the sweetest thing. She's the salt of the earth. Listen, I'm ready to dive in and, uh, and talk about 500. How many of you guys believe you're meant to break 500? I believe it. Can we pray first? Father, thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your kindness. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that moves us in the cities that you give us. My prayer is that you would use this time that we would connect with each other, that you would somehow speak and you would give us insight to the cities in which we have jurisdiction. Help us to do the mission that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Anybody else feel like uh, that you, uh, with one wink or one wrong message, could dwindle your whole thing down to about 106? Anybody else? I feel like sometimes I have the spirit of subtraction. <laughs> like it could easily be a 296. or That's why I'm afraid to actually do this session because it could jinx everything. In fact, it already did. I said yes to talk about breaking 500 and had a 396 two weeks ago. That was supposed to be a joke. Y'all got serious. <laughs> I said, mm. If it keeps going like this, I may just hand somebody else the mic. You feel us. You feel us. Awesome. Hey, listen, here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you I don't have it figured out, but I want to tell you that the way to the answer is not to get blanket answers at conferences. Because a blanket answer, a copy, won't work in your context. Yeah. And so I, what we're, I'm going to try to approach it from three different arenas that you can drill down, you can dissect, and they will work in your context because you contextualize some ideas, some behaviors, and then some contextual questions. Does that make sense? My greatest goal today is to spend a lot of time in Q&A, a lot of time in Q&A, but I like to tackle problems like barriers. I like to gang tackle and so I just think about the people in all of our lives here in the Ark family that have shown us things. Pastor Dino showed me how to unlock a city. Pastor Chris taught me how to build leaders, to see the leader, to say to the leader so I can build the leader. I think about my wife who taught me that I don't have to be loud to be impactful. She taught me how to do family because my dad didn't teach me that. I think about my best friend in the world, Josh, would you wave at everybody? My best friend in the entire world, Josh Whitlow. He's doing the session tomorrow on break a thousand. How many of you guys know it's tough to start on the day and you get 500 and he gets a thousand? <laughs> my boy looks like Robert Downey and I got the Chris Farley anointing. Come on, somebody. I got spanks on right now. You don't believe me? If I didn't have this on, it would look like I'm smuggling grapes up in here. But she still thinks I'm a dime. Hello. Hey, everybody say, hey. Josh Willow taught me about generosity. I met him at art conference five years ago. I get home in Nashville, the city I love, but the city I don't know. And on Thursday, a $2,000 check is sitting in my mailbox from a guy who just met me. We've talked on the phone every day for five years. He taught me how to do friendship. He taught me generosity. He came to my house and didn't like the way my dishwasher sounded. He went to Home Depot and bought me a new dishwasher and then bought me a Sony A7 TV. Come on, somebody. Anybody need a new best friend like that? <laughs> I think about Justin Daly, who taught me to empower. He taught me to give away leadership. Think about Josh Monty, who taught me how to dream without filters. So I'm just trying to let you know that the answer that you're looking for is found when you gang tackle. My mama taught me how to pray. 
And so I want you to know that's, that's the reason why I hope that we would sit next to each other is because I think the answer may not be in your head as much as it's next to you. And so let's dive in. I, I hate, I hate sometimes when I go to a conference and I get somebody else's answer that doesn't contextually fit my context. It may not fit Nashville. Pastor Stephen broke 500 in Charlotte when he rented a helicopter. Well, your boy went to rent a helicopter and it didn't work that way. I attracted 1,200 people and went back down to a buck 50. Does that make sense? And so what I want to do today is I want to dive in. And Leah, man, if you think of anything along the way, um, please interrupt me and uh, say anything of value. She's the secret sauce to our ministry. Um, All of our staff would tell you that she provides clarity. I provide confusion. She provides clarity. And so um, I, I think before you ever break 500 physically, you have to first break 500 in different arenas. Let let, let me give you the different arenas. The first one is you have to break it in your mind. If you do not think 500, you will never break 500. So it starts with ideas. You know the scripture. You teach it better than I do. So as a man thinks, so is he. So ideas, the right ideas. The second arena that I think is crucial is is behavior. It's behavior. This, This session is entitled Best Practices. It's behavior. It is when behavior lines up with the mission that God has given me. Some of us have a mission, but our behavior doesn't line up like that. If I did what I did every day, I couldn't get to 500 because I may not have the right behavior. And then ultimately, it would be awareness. Awareness. I can't just have the behavior. I have to be aware of the city I'm in, the trends, the behaviors, the motives, the history, the way they think, the transient culture. The demographic, all of that plays in. I think we have to win in those three arenas. The right idea, I think we have to win with the right behavior, and ultimately, I think we have to be aware of our context. How many of you guys are from the South? Come on, somebody. How many of you guys are from the North? How many of you guys are from the East? How many of you guys from the West? There we go. How many of you guys wouldn't raise your hand no matter what I said? There we go. I think it's important to have context, and so I'm going to give some ideas that you can matriculate, you can drill down into behavior, and you can drill down, and hopefully we can get to Q&A. So we're going to talk, we're going to go clouds, ideas that drove us to break 500. We're going to go concrete, which is some behaviors that you can put in practice tomorrow, and then we're going to get to Q&A. And I think the best Q&A is when you provide clear context, I'm in a middle school, whatever that is, and the clear problem. And then we're going to get, try to get to as many of those as possible. Amen? Amen. Let me give you um, some ideas Um, and some ideas and questions at the cloud level, 30,000 foot, that helped drive some behavior that helped us break 500. Number one, I had to understand ideologically that breaking 500 was not arrogance, it was obedience. I felt bad for wanting more. Have you ever felt that way? Until I studied scripture and realized that the talent I have and the field that I'm in charge of is actually not mine anyway. I've been given the talent. I've been given authority over the field. But when I die, it all goes back anyway. It's my current assignment. And so my job is to be faithful, which means being fruitful. So you do not need to feel bad for wanting to break 500. That's an idea that I had to buy into. It's more about God's will than your goal anyway. And if you don't understand that, your behavior never line up. So that's the first idea that I had to bounce into. Um, The second idea that I had to really buy into was that every growth barrier is the same fight. If you're looking for that tension to be resolved when you break 500, it will become the seed of frustration. 
Because how many of you guys have ever played the game 500? You know the game of 500 where you throw up the ball and somebody, you say a certain amount of points and everybody's wrestling, everybody is fighting, everybody's trying to figure out how to catch the ball because they want to get to 500? The struggle is the same at 1,000. The struggle is the same for your friends that have a 2,500-member church. I think we just have to buy into the idea that every level has a new devil. Every time we're breaking a barrier, it is a fight, and perhaps the next level is just about my pain tolerance. And so I had to start there expecting the pain and realizing pain is not punishment, it's preparation. Think about this contextually. So, so Apostle Paul refers to Moses and the Israelites being chased by Pharaoh and his army as baptism in Corinthians chapter three. Now, if you're sitting in that and you're trying to go from this area to that area, the promised land, and you have Pharaoh's army pressing on your back, that does not feel like baptism to you. So you have to make sure that you carefully diagnose the pain of breaking 500. Let me be real with you. This year, the first time we ever broke 1,000, the first time we ever broke 500, the guy who was number two with a week's notice left our church. A guy that was on our dream team did something that landed him in prison. Within the last year and a half, my father confessed to me that he had cancer and was hiding it. Pain. Now I realize that pain was preparing me for the level of 500. So be careful not to confuse pain as a stop sign. Does that make sense? And so I had to just buy into that from an idea standpoint. Does that, does that help at all? Here's some questions. We're just starting off with clouds and ideas so you can take them into your context. I hope that's valuable. I hope that's helpful. Uh, here's some questions that we asked that really helped us break 500 eventually as we drill them down. Um, who am I and who am I not? Maybe with your wife, maybe with your staff, somebody that you trust. Like, who am I? Because if I'm honest with you, I moved from Alabama to Tennessee and planted something called Church of the Hills. What does that sound like? Church of the Highlands. And then I had a TV monitor. And I would say, come on, give them, come on, you can do better than that. Give them your best. And I tried to be Chris Otis. And God can't bless a ministry that's mimicked. You can borrow a system, but you can't borrow an anointing. And so for me, I think it was a big deal to really ask the very hard, very tough question, who am I? And then who am I not? Here's another question I asked that I think began to help us is, what type of church are we going to be known for in our city? That's the blank church. Oh, that church is known for leadership. We are going to be the blank church. Let that wrestle with you and your team. That's going to help focus your team. Because before 500, you can't be great at nine things. Amen? So if you start with one, that's the greatest secret is to start with one great thing because at this stage, at this numerical stage, complacency is your biggest killer. Being mediocre is your biggest killer. What's the one thing that we can be known for in our seat? That's the question we asked. Here's another one. What gets people in my church the most excited about telling their people? How do I create raving fans? How do I get my people to talk about our thing to their people? Here's another question. What can we give them on Sunday that they can't get anywhere else in my city? And don't be too spiritual here. Jesus. No, no, there's other churches that give Jesus, right? What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to ask a question that helps us discover our distinction. 
Discover our unique distinction. It does not make us better. It just makes us unique. What is our unique distinction? That's a question that we asked. Here's another one. Would all of our systems that we currently operate work if we were at 500 tomorrow? Go to every system in your entire church, the check-in, the way that we park cars, the way that we usher, the way that we preach, the timing of service, the way we do songs. Would it work at 500? That's a good question. Here's another one. Who's over 500 that wants you to be over 500? Who's over 500 people that wants me to be over 500? Find that person and invest in them. Travel to them. Buy their kids gifts. Establish a relationship with somebody that actually believes in you. And they're not intimidated by the dream to be over 500. Does that make sense? So those are just questions that helped us drill down some identity that landed in behavior. And so now let me give you tactics. We're moving right along because I want to get to Q&A. Here are tactical things. How many of you guys are afraid of tactical things you can do tomorrow? Here's some tactical things, okay? Um, The first one is I wanted to do ministry in such a way that got God's attention. So we had to become a tithing church. Tactical. Are you giving 10% away? We can't expect our people to do what our churches don't. Pastor Chris taught me a long time ago. Make sure that you start and, and continue ministry in such a way that God just goes, oh, I got to pay attention to that. The second one is Sabbath, a real day that you make really special where you rest. There is no reward if there is no rest. Just practical. Is there a day on your calendar that is marked as solely God's? Super simple, but overlooked, right? Here's some other tactical ones. Have a best friend that gets all of you all of the time. I got a best friend that gets my great numbers, that gets my horrible numbers. If you do not have one, have the security to chase them until you find one. Because they may tell you no. For instance, I'm just going to give you tactical. Here's kind of what I did. I have great friends now. Great friends. Justin Daly, Josh Monty, Josh Whitlow's my best friend in the entire world. Mike Burnett. I had no clue that they would be fastest growing church in America, second fastest growing church in America. I just knew they had something that my city needed. So on my phone, I put in my calendar a reoccurring event to text Jeremy Foster, Justin Daly, Josh Money, Dave Sumrall, and Mike Burnett every Thursday. For five years, I've texted them. I pursued them. Guess how often some of them text back the first year? Zero. But now we're close. And now we spend time together. You need a best friend who can get all of you all of the time. And it's worth the pursuit. Amen. Uh, Number four, there's got to be time in my week that nobody else can have where I get better. There's time in my week where nobody else can have it so I can get better. And then I would say adjacently, you need a time in your week where you discover the things you're still doing that somebody else needs to do. There should be two hours on your Thursday where you're like, I'm still doing this. That person can do that. Got to become empowering to break 500. Here's some other tactical things. Um, In fact, I'll just show you. um, Why don't you grab your phones real quick? Does everybody have an iPhone? If you don't have an iPhone, raise your hand. We'll take up an offering right now. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of Android. Come out of him. All right, watch this real quick. um, I just got so convicted about a month ago, and this has changed my life forever. 
Because I have complained about not having the right leaders, but I realize God will not give you what he gifted you to build. Right? You need the right leaders to break 500. So I'm going to show you what I did that helped me realize I have a lot more time than I thought. Go to settings real quick. This is, this is crazy. Here's a tactic that's good for you, and it's going to be great for you when your staff tells you they don't have time. Go to settings. Uh-huh. How many of you guys already know what I'm doing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, now, now click battery. It'll load. Then click last 10 days. So settings, battery, last 10 days. And just scroll down and look at what you've done. <laughs> J.D. Ost averaged 47 minutes a day on Instagram. That's what I saw a month ago. So here's the tactic. Reinvest that time. Look right there on your phone. You're trying to break 500. You have the time. So the tactic is, look at that time, reinvest that time on your calendar in somebody that could help you break 500. Amen? Just simple tactics. Um, here's another tactic. I learned this from an overseer. He said, when he came and we had not yet broke 500, he said, I watched you and everybody came to you with what to do. Stop telling what to do. What he told me is, I haven't told a leader what to do in two years. Because if I tell them what to do, they'll be really good at following a checklist, but they'll never create ownership around the things we need to pull off vision wins. So never again, from this day forward in this room, we're never telling a leader what to do. We're going to ask them a question and let them discover it, even if it's slower. We're never going to tell them what to do. Does that make sense? Why did I always tell everybody what to do? Um, I think because he is um, a perfectionist and wants everything to be 100% all the time. And yeah, he would just tell them instead of allowing them to create and come to it at their own, um, right? Well, I mean, yeah, well, let's he's be just honest, very, let's be honest. How many of you guys are lead pastors? He's controlling. Huh, just kidding. <laughs> but, no, you're right. How many of you lead pastors? Okay, how many of you actually believe you can do what you do better than probably anybody under staff? Be honest, please. Hold up. Don't lie. Hold on. I'm going to ask you one more so time because I saw some people like, I don't know. If you think you can do the job better than most of your team, raise your hand. Now watch this. Watch Hilarious. this. We can for now, but we can at 500. So good. Does that make sense? Yeah. So let's reinvest that time and then let's stop telling leaders what to do because then we just create followers. Right. By the way, a great podcast that you can still is, how many of you guys already listen to Pastor Craig's leadership podcast? If you'll put a development hour within your week and show that to your lead team, I actually think it's very supplemental to breaking 500 as well. Um, here's another one. You need a culture guide for all of the leaders that represent you because your church does not experience you as much as they experience your dream team. Yeah. So do they know your culture? Because if they don't know it, they can't reciprocate it. So let me tell you what you should have in a culture guide. What's the name of your church, sir? WRC. There needs to be a WRC way to do things. How do we have a ministry moment? How do we turn on a room? What is our language like? Do we say things like, yeah, I've got to show up at that time? Or do we say things like, oh my gosh, we, we, we get to show up at that time? Language, things we say, things we don't say. What does pipe and drape mean? Why do we show up on time? Yeah. You know what your people experience is not your message, it's your culture. Mm -hmm. I heard a, guy, a business guy the other day came to our church and he was talking about if you get somebody to come three times, um, they're done. The, per the percent goes up from 10% retention if they come one time and like it. Mm -hmm. If they come two times and like it, it goes to 24%. If they come three times and like it, it's 80% retention rate. And you know why they do that? Because of how it feels. 
So that's why a culture guide is a tactical way to make sure all of your people know how to treat the people you're trying to reach. A culture guide. Does that make sense? Just tactical stuff. Eight, um, hire or leverage someone to develop your team in ways that you can't do. Once you ask the question, who am I, who am I not? I think you should invest and hire somebody to come in and train your teams in ways that you're not strong at. So let me tell you what we did when we didn't have the money yet. We hired Phil Klein to come in and to train our teams and to train me. The best investment that you'll ever make is in your team, and that should be a budget line in your budget as are you developing your leaders now to break 500 in the areas which you're not strong. Make sense? Um, so that's one thing we did. Uh, number nine, force movement. If I did anything wrong, I did this wrong. My best friend would say, hey, stupid, just like that, because that's how rude we can be each other, to each other. He would say, hey, goofball, hey, stupid, you're in the wrong location. Because I loved to do the same thing over and over. I fell in love with the wrong location, and I think I stifled growth. He was so right. He was so dead on. You have to force movement. How many of you guys know it's a little, little easier to drive a car when it's moving than it is to drive a car when it's parked? So some of you need to force different, different service times. You need to change what the service looks like just a little bit, just little tweaks. You need to change the, the, the direction in which your dream team parks. Force movement creates momentum. Some of you need to make a lateral move. You're in a decent school and there's another decent school, but your people have sat down too much and now they are comfortable with your speed. You don't want them to be comfortable with your speed because then they won't be used to the next level. And when you go to the next level, they won't like it, so they'll leave. Yeah. The way that you make them missional is by teaching them movement. So that's a tactical thing. Anybody get anything? Is that good? Is it helpful? Awesome. Um, number 10, use strength finders. Use strengths. Finder. Is it finder or finders? I'm trying to act like I know what I'm talking about up here. <laughs> Let me explain this. Phil Klein, along with my wife Leah, um, showed us how to use Strength Finder so it helped us understand who we are, who we're not, so we hire and delegate the right things. Some of us have a certain personality and certain strength, and we hire everybody just like us. And then our organization runs in circles because it has one right arm that's strong and no left arm. So you need to hire with strength finders. You need to build your teams with strength finders. You even need to build your meetings with strength finder because there's four quadrants, right? Phil Klein would say, you do not have a team until you have four of the quadrants represented on your team, in your meetings, and everything that you do, including all of your departments. So let me give you those four real quick, and then I think you should really, really take this tactic and use it for everything. DISC is awesome for personality. It is not your strength. By the way, your strengths don't change. I believe it's synonymous with your charis, your grace gift. So there's four things, okay? One, there is relational. Two, there is strategic. What's the third and fourth? Executional. Executional. And then influencing, right? Influence means I can go get people. Strategy, I can, I, can, I can come up, I can take the vision and make it a reality. Executing, give me a to-do list. Relational, I can make sure everybody likes each other. You need to know what the goal is of the team, of the meeting, and build it with strengths. Otherwise, people will be working outside of their strengths, and it will only get better this much, and the moment they stop working on it, it'll go back to bad. So use strength finders. That's a tactical one. Um, number 11, have a plan for not just developing, comp developing competency, but also character. What we realized, Daniel Floyd taught us this. Our org chart was helping people 
Mark off the things to go from dream team, dream team leader, coordinator, director, eventually staff. We would have people that were competent enough to climb that, but didn't have the character to stay there because I was only helping Mark off the list. I was not helping develop character. So that's a mistake that we made. I think you should have a development plan, not just for climbing that, but also developing their character. Does that make sense? Um, Here's another one. Um, This is a tactic I got from Jason Laird, who was with Gateway. Uh, I didn't always know what to do in my one-on-ones. You guys ever been like, I just like, how are you doing? Beyond that, I don't know what to do to make sure I'm actually doing it right. Does anybody else have the problem? Like you don't know if you're holistically helping people. Thank you. Yeah, I never knew. And so I'll give you four C's that have set me free in developing people. Here's the first one. Clarity. So in my mind, I don't say this. In my mind, I'm thinking clarity. So here's the question I asked them. Is there anything you don't know that if you did know could help you do your job better? And then I shut up most of the time. So start your one-on-ones just making sure they feel clear. There's nothing worse than following a leader without clarity. Because you don't know if you're winning. That's the first one, clarity. The second one is coaching. Is there anything that I could do for you that would help your team be better? That's a question I ask every time. Can I leverage any resources? Is there anything you need? That's just coaching. The third one is confrontation. Ask them first. Is there anything that you see in me? Is there anything about being on my team that's a little harder than I may realize? And then you have to confront them. And if you don't confront, if it's awkward, it's because you're not confronting enough. So we like, we like the culture of instant feedback where we're always correcting so that it's never awkward. They're just always used. I send emails all the time now that are instant feedback. Always be correcting. Does that make sense? So that's one that we use. And then care is last. So I finish the conversation of one-on-ones by caring for the heart. So here's the question I ask. You can make it your own, make it better. The question that I ask is, how's your heart? How's your family? And I try to shut up. Those are the four C's that I think tactically have helped us develop these a little bit better. Um, number 13, I think everybody needs a once a year offering. Um, heart for the house, legacy, whatever you want to call it. It has been a game changer for the mission of our church and the momentum. Our little bitty church last year gave a quarter of a million dollars in one offering. Yeah, and so you need to, Daniel Floyd is the best I've ever seen. Would that be right, Josh? Would he probably be the best? He gave us a plan. I got on the phone with him. He told me how to do it. We taught on finance in October. We talked about it. And that little bitty old church, before we ever got this building, gave a quarter of a million dollars and we didn't do pledge cards. We didn't do any of that. And so you need to find out how to do a heart for the house. It will be a game changer. Let me ask you this. How many of you guys think you could break 500 if you had $250,000? You need a plan for that. Okay, here's another one. Something I learned from Phil Klein that helps us solve problems is always have a mission, which is a why. Why are we doing this? That's a mission. Have a method. How are we going to do it? And then have measurements. If you'll teach your team that, it will be data-driven decisions, and it's a tactic that you can help them actually make sure that they're approaching the war the right way. So what's your mission? Awesome. What's your method? How are you going to do it? And then how are you going to measure it? If you'll teach that to him, those are some tactics that helped us. Anything, sweetie, that you would say tactically? I know you did a lot with Strength Finders, and that's been tremendous. Maybe the most game changer for us was Strength Finder. What, what would you say? Um, yeah, Strength Finder is huge. I think, like JD was saying, having those four domains at all of your meetings has been huge for us. It's also helped us 
hugely with our dream team. So we have directors, coordinators, team leads, and then dream team. So it helps us to, we'll find out what the directors like, what are their strengths, and then we'll build their team based off that. So sometimes you may have a great leader on your dream team over guest services that's heard their domain as execution. And then you go and look and all of the ones, the coordinator, the team leads, they're all the same strengths and their teams aren't growing because they don't have anybody that's influencing people to join their team. So for us, it's been a game changer in all aspects. So like our creative meetings, we'd have those, we'd have a lot of creative ideas, but we'd come out with nobody doing anything and things wouldn't get done. Anybody else have that problem with creatives? It was so fun. Yeah, it's awesome. So cool. Yeah, it's awesome. But the next month we'd sit down and nothing had been accomplished, but we had some great ideas. So having those four domains helps tremendously in all of those. But yeah, I think um, I have other things, but I think they'll be answered through Q&A. I don't want to take up any more time. Yeah, the idea here, guys, was to start in the clouds and give you ideas that you could take to your context Mm -hmm. and questions, because those questions in your context, I think, will help. And then just give us some tactical stuff. And then I really want to, now we'll have 30 minutes, which I'm thankful for. And I think the best way for us to do that is be clear on your context of like, hey, we're in a middle school or we just took over a church or whatever that is. And then the tension that you feel, if we can be honest, I think it's going to help the most amount of people. If you can be clear on your context and then clear on the tension or the problem you're trying to solve, um, then we'll try our best to add as much value because I think, I think that's going to be the best. Here's the way we're going to do that. Um, if we can have our Q&A people come, um, basically, if you'll raise your hand, I guess they'll come, they'll come straight to you and be clear on the problem and then clear on the context, and we'll try to help as much as we can. And then I'll have Josh if, uh, help us if I can. So realistically speaking, if you have three services on Sunday and what could you, if you're 9, 10, 30 and noon, what could you, uh, in all honesty, what percentage of the seats will probably be full in the 9, 10, 30 and noon? Absolutely. So 9, 30 and 11 are prime times. You can get those to 100%. The moment that you go to a third experience, I think 65% is about the top that we see. So like in your noon, like right now we're 34 we're 70, and then we're 40. So 34% full, yeah. 70, 40. So in my mind, I'm thinking, is 50 the max probably on the first and the third? Or, or am I What's thinking, your seat? Give me some context. What's the seating capacity? The seating capacity is 120. Okay. And okay. So we're between 350 and 400. Okay. So I'm thinking, at what point are we looking at we just max this building out. There's no reason for us to keep trying to beat our head against the wall. Your first service is 34. Is that 34%, correct? 34% full. full. Your second service is 70% full. Mm-hmm. And your third service is what? Is 40. Why wouldn't you go to two services and max them out? Just making room. I think you have. We I think the way that a room fills above 55% is a quicker way to grow your church than the way that it fills at 34%. And so my advice would be, and the ARC advice would be, is to have two services that feel unbelievable, and that's going to push you quicker to three services than two services that feel less than half full. I would go to two services, 9.30 and 11, or 9.30, 11, 15, knowing that a 9.30 and 11 are the prime times, and you could get 100%. So you could get to 240 adults in two service times and have much more dream team so that when you launch a third, it's with a bang. Is that helpful? I got, I got one over here. I'm in the back to your left. Uh, I'm in Central Florida. Hold Church. up, hold up, hold up, oh, hold up. Okay. Bro. What's up? Your beard game oh, is strong. Oh, thanks, man. 
Thank you. Thank you, man. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, we're in Lakeland, Florida. Man, church is four years old. Um, yeah. A great city. It's growing. We're in retail space right now. We occupy three of the storefronts, running about 300 people uh, geared up for Easter. We believe we're going to see seven, 800 people in, and cast a huge net to That's get awesome. some of those people in there. Um, I think my question is twofold. Um, experiencing the growth over the years in the beginning, being so close and being everybody's best friend and being accessible and kind of having to make that shift of putting up boundaries, not being even like your pioneer and launch team's best friends anymore. And uh, those people feeling that all the new people, it's a lot easier with because you come into that place in that position, but like kind of the old school people and kind of getting there and getting more and more off your plate as the demands of making sure that the messages are fire each week instead of, you know, dealing with the offerings and things like that. Um, How did you get out of that when you were scaling back? And what would you say was maybe the number one or number two system that you saw with the most results immediately of kind of getting away from that? I guess I would say. Sure. So here's what I would say. Who are we called to pastor? The sheep. One thing that I do see happens at this growth barrier is a lot of people just, a lot of shepherds just leave. I think we should tell them why. I think we should put vision and mission into that, uh, into that transition, not just absence. When we just bounce and everybody else starts pastoring people, I think they don't know why and they come up with their own conclusion and that's when you lose them. So I would say in your preaching, preach the vision, preach the mission, preach about the small groups and how we pastor people in small groups and what that means for me. Why? Because I can't pastor all of you because you're too important for me to put on my schedule. It's about them, not me. And so to me, when you give the why behind that and you preach it and it's part of the mission of the church, it becomes less about you and it gives them the why. So I think the best system is to preach it if it matters. Yeah. I would add something tactically to that that we did was just simply get an assistant or somebody to manage your schedule, even if it's your wife and you have to give her a new name. Hey, email Susie, um, and it's your wife. But I think that was huge for us because, seriously, it takes the pressure off of you. And what, what we would say in those moments is, you know, hey, we just want to make sure that we have the best pastor equipped to meet whatever need it is for you. And so email Megan and she'll make sure, you know, I'm not the best at that, but she'll make sure that we get you in the right place with the right person. And that was huge for us is to, to have that person. Like I said, even if it's your yeah. wife or somebody to manage that for you so that you're so not good. the one having to tell people no all the time. Oh, that's good. It so kind good. of puts, you know, and then they can kind of filter from there by asking questions or whatever that is. Tell them from the pulpit what you're not good at. Yeah. I tell my people all the time, you don't want me counseling you. He does. I'll hurt your feelings. <laughs> we got some people who are really good at that. They're much better at that than me. Let them know that you're not everything. Oh, what's the next one? Yes, sir. Yeah, so um, we, are, we just went to our second gathering this past Sunday. I think I over, we kind of pushed a little bit. Our room seat's about 300. We're in a middle school. And uh, two weeks ago, we were t- about 287. So I think we were uh, past that. So the question I have is, as now we've shifted, we've spent extra time, as a matter of fact, on uh, getting everyone, the dream team prepared and how we're going to roll this thing out. And so now we've got, we've got a great level of participation. I guess my, my wondering is, we, um, 
we're rolling up like 35 to 40 percent. We're about, you know, getting ready for Easter as far as church growth. So I'm trying to anticipate, um, anticipate. Well, let's, I'll back up for a second. So we had we the room. So we just had our second service. We had like 225 people show up. School is out. So we were pretty happy about that turnout going to two services. Uh, the challenge or the wondering I have is based on the growth, that whole growth spectrum. Like, so, you know, tactically, you get a 350, you know, going to 500. What, what kind of speed or ratio, what kind of preparation do you have to have? Um, we can max out 600, but if I really looked at that number, it's really more like 480. So when would we, when do you think we should start? 480 and two? Yeah, four, uh, so a total of 480 before we'd have to go to three services. Okay. Because we're running, I mean, we're like, we're running like 90, 10, I mean, which is outrageous, but we just wanted to build up to get to Easter. So we're here now, right? So I'm just trying to figure out forecasting. When do you start preparing people in their minds for a third service and... Great question. Yeah, so that'd be great. So two things. First of all, bro, if I had your preaching voice, (laughs) your boy could get it because you sound just like Denzel. For real, between the pop collar, the vest, and the Denzel voice, you're my dude. Hello. Thanks, bro. Second, second of all, how do you do that? Bro, I pull up to Hardy's and she's like, yes, ma'am. I'm like, you got to stop that. <laughs> so, so always, always stop waiting for the right time to prepare them for more momentum. Mm. It's not a time. Okay. It's identity. I am always preaching that. I am always talking about every huddle, every rally, every meeting, always telling them how to get ready for what's next. Does that make sense? So talk about three services constantly. What do we need? Because that's the vision gap, and I think that's what people respond to. Vision, vision gap. Let's go. Let's move. Remember the force movement? That's how you do it. That's good. That's good. Thank you. J.D.? So, Good to see you. This is a great preacher. Good to see you, man of God. Uh, two and a half years old, 350, 400, four and a quarter, 325, 400, 390, 289, 425, 375. So we just keep bouncing in that same area. What are some other force movement things you've done? Facility, service times, haircut? I mean, like... <laughs> Talk to your boy. Yeah, yeah, I got to. I need to move something. Bro, you drive down to Nordstrom, put you on some new shoes, and write that, to 500. Yeah. What, what are some other practical force movements? You know, we, uh, maybe we have, we're in a movie theater, by the way. Um, it's 299 actual seats, usable, you know, 220. Uh, they're too comfortable, they're too oversized, they're too reclining. But... I mean, what other, what other practical force movements? How long have you been there? Two years. We started six months in an elementary school. Move. Got it. Watch. Just move. Got it. Thanks. <laughs> See how clear that was? Uh, um, hello. Um, we, um, we actually just shifted to a new building. God uh, actually handed over a new church building to us. Um, so we were at two services. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you hear that? 
They just handed you a new, they handed you a Yeah, I'm, I'm not the pastor. I'm just a leader, a team leader. So That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. So basically <laughs> what happened was we, we bought the South location and we were renting, we were renting a, the North location in Gulfport, Mississippi. And uh, so we were at 75% full. So my pastor went to two services and, and then we went to three and that was killing the staff. Um, and so he we was like, no, we got to get this other building. So we started renting another, the North location. And then uh, what happened was we were faithful. We made sure it was clean. And they, which is kind of bad, they dissolved, but we inherited that and they gave us the building. So it was, you know, we, it's, it's seat, it could seat 400 people, um, but we averaged about 200. So my question as a, a team leader, um, you know, as an Aaron or her to help the pastor, my question is, uh, how would you keep the team enthusiastic with the vision although we know the vision and we know but there's some there's sometimes that they come to people they well they will come to me and ask hey how do you do this how do you do that and I'm like I, I don't I don't know okay. but my just how do you keep the enthusiasm I got you it's great great question first of all all the fulfillment that you're looking for in your life you find through serving your pastor so thank you for doing that really is a big deal from a lead pastor just know that I, there, I feel so overwhelmed with God's call, what God's called me to because I know how incapable I really am because I know me. So guys like you that serve normal guys like us, it means the world. So I'd say that first of all. Second of all, share vision and share vision wins all the time. Every time you're hanging out with somebody, every time you're playing ball, every time you're in a huddle, every time you get the mic, every single time, here's what we're doing, here's why we're doing it, and here's how we're winning. It has to not be an announcement. It has to be your culture. And also, if you have that many of adults and you have 400 seats, take out 400 seats. You want 220 seats to feel like, oh my gosh, this thing's exploding. Well, we, we, don't, have, we don't have them out. We, just, we actually have about right at 235, 240. That's out. That's great. Yeah. That's perfect. Control the room, control the room. But the, the, the vision wins is what you need to do all of the time. Okay. All the time. Great question. Yes, sir. So we're a church that's about 15 years. Actually, we just celebrated our 15-year anniversary. Congratulations. We've got a, thank you. We've, we're running right now, um, right around 400, a little bit over, or a little bit under at times. Part of the reason is, is that we just uh, had some severe damage to our building. Uh, so we're actually having to go mobile again, which has created a whole new set of obstacles for us. But we have a lot of the measurables there. So we're seeing 50% people involved in dream teams. We've done the legacy teams. We've got people donating online. We've got all of those things that you, you look for. But what we're finding is, is kind of like the gentleman said over here, we're, you know, 475, 390, and we'll kind of bounce all over the place. We've seen over 500, but then we've dropped. Part of that was we lost a couple of staff members last year uh, due to some transition, healthy transitions for them. So it wasn't a negative, but obviously we saw, you know, a drop off in attendance. So we're just, we're trying to figure out how to get back to that place because we want to go multi-site here within the next year and a half. Why um, year and a half? Why year and a half? Mainly looking for the person who's going to take what that multi-site would look like, looking okay. for the campus pastor. I'd love to chat specifically about that. I know that's a side yeah. of the question. I, w I don't want to waste your time. So sure. what, what I would say is I would, I would ask very tough questions. One of the questions I would ask is, what is our lowest leak? And make all of your team work on it. A phrase that we have is, nothing that we do is not your job. Right? So can we all, to be honest enough, 
to define what the lowest leak in our organization is, and we don't care what your position is. Nothing that we do is not my job. So identify that. And then secondly, are you really willing to change to increase the frequency that helps you? Because you probably already have more than 500. They're just coming one and a half times a month. What can you do that's so much more valuable than the other thing they're doing that to get their frequency from 1.4 to 1.9 because you just got over 500? Um, my name is Christopher Miller. I'm the executive pastor of CT Church in South Houston. We've got five campuses, six total services. One of our other campuses about six months ago just went to a second service. So here's my question. Every campus that we have launched in the last three to four years has been birthed out of our main campus, which is where I'm now the executive pastor of. I've been there roughly a year. So we've been bailing out of our main campus to provide manpower for the launching of these different campuses as we spread, because that was the vision for our lead pastor. So my question is, is this. Within our main campus, we're running right at 500 adults, not including women and, or the children and the women and children. Yeah. All men. All men. That's the preacher coming out in me. I'm sorry. Well, you may want to do real quick. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, we just want to erase that junk because there's some ladies up in here with purses in hand, bro. They'll get you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This ain't Corinthians 7, bro. Yeah. (laughs) So my question is, is this. Is that we had the momentum. We had the momentum of launching the campuses, and the people were excited about that, and the campuses were vibrant, and that was the mission, the focus, the goal. We're launching campus, we're launching campus, we're launching campuses. Well, how do we incite the excitement within the campuses now to grow? Because the campuses have hit a point, but they're just like this. So for my question is for my campuses, how do you how do you rekindle the fire behind the vision of not just being missional and launching campuses, but being intentional on growing the house? That's great. So I remember asking a similar question um, with, in an opportunity with Pastor Chris, and I'm asking all these tactical questions. I thought they were really good. I had a, like it's like 29 questions about tactical, you know, placement on multi-site model, blah 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 blah. He said none of those matter. To which I replied, I'll go put the campfire out with my forehead. Appreciate it. Thank you. He said, if you have the right leader, all that's solved. If you have the right campus pastor, then that campus pastor is applying vision, 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 vision. So I would take the executive lead team, look at our campus pastors and teach all of them how to cast vision in every conversation and every meeting. Here's why we're doing it. Here's why we're doing it. Here's why you're a big deal on Sunday morning. They're not, they're focused on, they're hot. They're not doing why, because they're empowering leaders to be excited about nine salvations that just happened and four kids that just raised their hand. The campus pastor is responsible for the culture of their campus. And if it's a bad culture, it's his fault. Does that help at all? I hope it does. I hope it does. Yes, sir. You, somebody looks like Bob Goff. <laughs> so, so my name is uh, Daniel. I'm the lead pastor of a church in Southwest Florida called Victory Church. Um, we have about 450 people. Been stuck there for a little while. Um, 70% of our church was saved in our church. About equal portions are under 45. So it's young church, uh, new believers. Um, so some of the unique things that we're facing are people that don't know how to church. 
Um, so yes, which is great in a lot of ways, but in, in a lot of others, it just takes some time to build a lot of things that come fundamentally to a lot of other people, like giving, uh, being involved, and, and things like that. So where does my head need to be at in terms of uh, you know kind of getting people engaged with that, getting people to learn the things that I, come more naturally to people that have been brought up in church, um, and, and also kind of building the systems and structures that we need um, to build a church beyond 500 uh, with that as a foundation. Find out what's important to you and put it in all of your communication. Okay. Is it important that, is it important in creating disciples for them to learn how to tithe? Mm-hmm. If it's important and it's a value, then the, the, what, what happens a lot of times, will you hold this sweetie if you don't mind? A lot of times we have values, but our behaviors don't line up. So people have to tithe. People need to attend church. People need to confess their sin to one another, but we don't have the behaviors that line up. So find out if it's important and then just switch your behavior until your values and your behavior look like this. That's alignment. So if tithing's important, pick a month to teach it. I would follow Pastor Chris's model. I would copy. I don't paste. Copy, filter, then paste. Does that make sense? And so in October is when I teach finances, and then I do the Heart for the House offering that once a year radical. And I look at the people and say, if you're a first time guest with us today, it's, it's really for us. It's a gift to you. If you are a believer and you call Zeal home, give your guts out. Empty your accounts. Just like that. And we have a scream. I'm laughing. We're having a ton of fun, but it's important, consistent yes. and everywhere. And then celebrate it. Anything that's important needs to be always. We have to stop looking for a system for things that are valuable and let it become identity. It's always. When's the right time to do it? If it's important, it's always. Yes. I learned so much watching your father preach the gospel for years and years and years and years and years. And so I'm glad you're here, Mr. Suber. It's good to see you. Come on. Uh, which is going to be amazing. But my question is, should we look at doing a fourth service or should we just wait and maybe like dig some wells, just work on developing leaders, that sort of thing, and then just launch into that new building? Both. Do both. Can I encourage you guys real quick? This is, this is real. I, we, we started in the ugliest middle school that Portable Church Industries has ever seen. <laughs> you laughed. I cried. I flew them down and they said, this is the nastiest thing. We laid 450 linear feet of banner every Sunday. That's how ugly it was. And then I got around my best friend and his father four years ago said, the hand of the Gentiles are going to open up to you. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. (laughs) But let me tell you what has happened. I hope this is encouraging. I really mean this because we were in a small space and we had no money and I didn't feel like I was great at money. Can I tell you what's happened in six months that I hope just fuels your faith? Because we've been told this morning that we need to risk and we need to dream big. The moment I decided to change locations, guess what happened? A guy came to my church 18 months ago, or sorry, met me at McDonald's, has never been in my church and gave me 120 grand at McDonald's. Never been to my church. Six months later, 
I stand on the platform and say, hey, guys, I think God told us that we're going to have a building. We were getting ready to close on a Goodwill on Monday. Goodwill space, I was fired up about it. On Friday, I get a call from a random broker saying, don't do the Goodwill deal. We have an option for you with 45,000 square foot. We're the massive historic Church of Christ. Don't do the deal. We did a lease to own on Monday and signed the deal. Four months later, a guy comes to my church, a guy comes to a meeting that does not go to my church and gives me $2 million and defers it for 10 years so I can buy this property. So now we own a $9 million property and on the books, we only owe $3.5 million. I'm just trying to let you know that you need to take steps even when you don't see the results. That's for you back there, boss. Yes, come on. These guys don't go to my church. And so we just, we need to dream, 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 dream. If you are stuck, in the boat, step out of the boat. Yeah. You can't walk on water sitting in the boat. Yes, ma'am. I'm just wondering about, um, I'm Sandy from Switzerland, um, Zurich, Switzerland. We have a church there. And I'm just wondering about um, kids' ministry, uh, how important that is uh, as part of your growth, because maybe you have room in your church, but the kids haven't got any space. And isn't that going to hinder growth too? Yes, ma'am, it is. Um, Pastor Josh, would you come for just a minute? Um, he just did a remodel on his kids' ministry. I've been a part of ministry for about 15 years. I've never seen a better kids' space um, under 10,000 people ever. Um, Josh, t tell her kind of what you guys think. Obviously, kids' ministry is such a big deal to you. Legacy is a big deal. You're a fifth-generation pastor. Tell her about kids' ministry and what you guys did, and then maybe you can get the kids' pastor's email. I'm telling you, it's the best kids' experience I've ever seen. And that's real. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I'm in, in Zurich, Switzerland. I don't. That's that's. I can't imagine uh, the space challenges. I, I think it's all important whether you're in Zurich or whether you're in Alabama or wherever it is. That I think one of the things that we've gotten wrong is we. It's easy for us to forget who our real target audience is, yeah. and start going after preferred audience. And we just need to start looking at data because data doesn't lie, and so we know that. 85% of people, if we're going after, if we're trying to win lost people, 85% of the lost will make a decision for Jesus before the age of 30. That's a massive pool of people. Out of that 80%, listen, 85% will make a decision for Jesus between the ages of eight and 14. Companies kill themselves. They bleed every investment they have. They invest every amount dollar they can if they knew that information. Apple does this, everybody does this. The church somehow, we fail to do it. Yeah. And we want unbelievable worship experiences while the kids are in a van down by the river. That's good. So, good. so good. You're not gonna keep their parents if their kids are in a junk, junk room. So whatever it takes, if you're in a space that is not accommodating, then you're gonna have a bunch of people that are empty nesters and they might give a lot of money, but you're not reaching the next generation at all. And God is a generational God, and I think it's a sin. Um, so I would say, and again, I, that's unique because switch I can't imagine, uh, but that's just for anything. I think that we've got to paint a, a clear picture that, listen, we're not just reaching you, but we believe that uh, when you're long and gone, that this is going to be carried on through the next generation, and this little five-year-old is going to be a world changer, and we want them to start changing the world right now Absolutely. and not later. So. That's fantastic. So good. So like uh, probably a lot of folks in this room, we're a portable church, and uh, how big of a barrier is that for growth is question one, and then you talked about being a tithing church, and so my second question would be, 
when you're taking your church tithe and you're putting it back out either into the world or in your community, if you want to grow locally, what's your balance of what you would invest in the community versus what you invest in the world? Awesome. I would go to thegrowleader.com and they explain how they break up the tithe locally, nationally, and internationally. And that becomes a great model that you can copy, filter, and then paste within your organization. And then when it comes to portable, we have too many examples at this point of people that are thousands upon thousands that are portable. And so my, the answer is probably we just have to get better at portable. I would not force yourself permanent and then you get in a permanent place and you outgrow that too quick and now you're stuck because it's a long-term lease. And so I think portable can be great because we have way too many examples of people killing it uh, within portability. Um, I'd like to capitalize off of this gentleman who was sitting over here in the middle section, his question earlier, going, going from, uh, you told him to go from three services to two services. So my question is, how do you do that without making it feel like a loss? How do you keep momentum going? Yeah, you just, I know you just communicated. You just told an entire eight o'clock crowd, we're not doing this for you if you don't fill it up. Yeah, tell him. <laughs> Dead yeah, honest, so just like I, that. I can only handle so much pressure, but let me tell you something. The people are going to feel the burden. Absolutely. That, that growth is obviously everything rises and falls on leadership, but we're always going to be making the decisions for the people that aren't in this room yet. So realize that your mission is when you get on this team, your first number one mission is to find Jesus. As soon as you find him, your second primary mission is to get other people that don't know him. So if you think we're going to keep a third service because you like the service time, you must not know us very well. We're going to change everything. And our church is four years old. We've probably changed our service times. We counted the other day 14 different times. It is forced movement. Yeah. And I t guess what? There's going to be 14 more times. And the question about, is it three services? How do, we, how do we communicate three or two? You just tell them, look, it's three now. We're going to two. And it's going to be six later. And it's not one campus. It's going to be five campuses. Yeah. So it's always, I think, just reinforcing that vision and that mission, helping them not get this. This is a me-centric. Me first makes me miserable it's, anyway. It's really, can you, can you put change as a part of your culture? Yeah. We're just always, and just tell them. Don't get used to where you park. I'm going to ask you to park a mile from here, and you're going to love it. By the dumpsters. We, we had complaints from Sunday. Somebody said, wrote it. You know, when they write it, your, your music's too loud. Bro, there's a lot of quiet churches. We're not changing. I'm not throwing our mission overboard to keep anybody on board. Period. The man. Hey, what's up, man? Charlie Cave, Grace Empire Church in Tampa, Florida. So <laughs> we recently, I definitely got to ask this because we recently changed uh, not just service times, but location. So like all oh, force movement. Great. But I did that really reluctantly because I'm like, you know, depending on what book you read or who you're talking to, like, you got to be consistent, man. You got to franchise your model. It's got to look like this. And other people are like, you got to change things up. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. So what's this fine line between force movement like creating a culture of excellence, creative culture of consistency, and changing things up and making things feel crazy all the time. Like, Good question. This church doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah, it's both. <laughs> but let me say this. This is a big deal. A lot of people come in. You can ask Pastor Lane about this. A lot of people come here and they get the systems because both of what you're saying is right. The difference is wisdom comes from being spirit-led. A is right. B is also right. Spirit-led lets you know which one to put in front of the other. So remember on Pentecost, they kind of go up there in tongues of fire. What does it say they let them do? 
speak the language to where the other people on the outside of the room could understand. When you're spirit-led, you speak the language of the people who are not here yet. So that's why we need to be spirit-led to make decisions for the culture and the community, the context in which we you know, live to serve in our cities. So be spirit-led. Pray. Let me just add something, because I think I remember a super big struggle when we, uh, and J.D., we talked a, a ton about this, is I think you got to be careful that you, 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 know, you marry the mission, you date your model, everyone knows that. So the only thing that's non-negotiable is, is mission and vision. Like, that's it. And too many times I think we're always trying to change vision. We're blaming vision because our vision was based on a solution. But we have to understand that solutions that are answers for today aren't going to be the same answers that are your problems you're going to face next time. And so what will happen is if you make a vision statement based on a current problem that you're having, so it's solution-based and not mission-based, your next problem, those solutions don't work. So what do you do? You change the vision. Now you've lost credibility. God gave me a new vision. And a year later, God gave me a new vision. Just your vision is what it is. Your mission is what it is. Everything else changes. So good. Hey guys, thank you so much. If you have any questions, it would be my honor. Um, if you are on Instagram, I'm JD Ost. Just DM me. I really mean that. I, I, adding practical value would be a, a, a very fulfilling to me. So if I, if I can do that at all or stand with you or pray with you or um, provide anything that our church can provide, my answer really is yes. I promise you. Thank you guys so much for coming. Have enjoy our conference. Thank you.